Stealth ATF. Something deadly in the air. And welcome to Nostalgia, a chronological exploration of every NES game released in North America. I'm Mike. And I'm Sean. And that's it again. Um, don't worry, Joe will be back. He promises. Joe will return in. I don't know. The next, the next episode? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I mean, we hope to see him in Three Stooges. <laughs> that is the next episode, but maybe Joe used his uh, stealth mode here, and he's actually on the podcast. He's just invisible. Yeah, he's stealth AF. <laughs> yeah, instead of ATF. Uh, for those <laughs> of you that aren't aware of the uh, the game, stealth ATF uh, has you controlling a uh, Lockheed F-117. Uh, it doesn't sound right to me. That's too many numbers. Usually I'm used to like F-35. Uh, so F-117 must be just a it's bigger... It's the blocky one. The, the one. the one that looks cool, that you thought looked really cool in like the 90s when like they, they started to like put out posters posters for you know warplanes um, there you go yeah, yeah. It's start, time to start idolizing warplanes <laughs> the b-17 bomber is done it's all about the lockheed f-117 nighthawk now <laughs> i will i will say that like you know this this plane is probably like you know aside from just because like the f-15 or 35 whatever those actually are um are the more most iconic just because of how common they are. Like this was like super cool. And I used to like think about this plane when I was a kid. Did you? I, I didn't think much about planes when I was a kid. (laughs) Um, but, but to be fair, you know, uh, that's because, uh, you know, just in general, I had a lack of interest in most things that didn't have to do with video game versions of them. So had I been exposed to stealth ATF, that might have ignited my love for the Lockheed F-117. Okay, I, I can I can grant that. Um, now, the stealth joke that I was making earlier about Joe comes because the whole like gimmick here, and in the name of the title, Stealth ATF, is that this plane has a um, a stealth mode that can be used one per once per mission. So that you can basically be invisible on enemy radars and they actually like lose sight of you and have no idea where you are. <laughs> Sounds really cool. Um, I don't know how well it works in the video game. I guess we'll get into that. But the overall idea here for this game is just that it's a first person, like you're in the cockpit, being briefed missions that are mostly just take down other enemy aircrafts. Uh, you know, the, the number just kind of increases or the types of enemies changes. But for the most part... That is your objective is to kind of go on these large battle, large empty battlefields, take down the enemy planes, successfully land your plane, and then move on uh, to the next mission. Sean, the game kind of feels like Top Gun here. Sure. I w- I'd say that, you know, on the surface with, you know, the UI and the nature of, you know, what you're doing, like, it bears some surface resemblances to Top Gun, but I think they're they're very different games. Where like whereas like Top Gun was kind of an arc not not quite an arcade experience, but it's still uh, I still think it played by those rules. Like this one is definitely trying to go more simulation. Um, I don't know if you got that vibe. 
Yeah, I wanted to talk about that because definitely just in the amount of information on your um, on the user interface screen, whether you're in the cockpit or taking off or landing the plane, they are trying to go for something here where, you know, you're either in training or on an actual mission. The idea of taking off in the plane, then going out to the battlefield and landing the plane, like each one of those things is kind of its own element of plane simulation, right? Like some some games like Microsoft Flight Simulator uh, 2020, which is like a big <laughs> thing now, that game is mostly a landing simulator game. Like, yeah, you can play to like, you know, fly to find the... Um, the airports or the landing places, but you could also just turn on GPS navigation for that stuff. The actual challenge is in the landing of it. That's a whole game. This game decides to make it like three different steps, uh, three different modes, if you will. You know, the, the 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 take off the runway, the shooting down of the enemies, and the landing all into one concise thing. What did you think about the actual like control of the F-117? Well, I know that Top Gun, um, and I don't want to just keep just keep talking about this game in terms of Top Gun, but uh, I mean it's it's very similar in this respect. Where I know that there was like a takeoff and landing portion of that game too. Um, I'd say that in this version, uh, where, where they're trying to like show you that you know taking off and landing is hard um, and requires skill, uh, takeoff is just literally press a button and and you know pull back on your D pad and then you you take off. Um, and that's cool, I guess, just to have that little bit of immersion in there. Uh, the actual flying around uh, is its own thing that I'm sure we'll we'll speak at length about. But landing itself, um, I it, it's definitely hard uh, at first before you get the hang of it and kind of understand the little tells that the plane has. Um, uh, you're going to crash a lot. And then once you get it, you're never going to crash uh, because it kind of is just a a solved game, I guess. Um, but it is still cool that they have those three uh, th- those three sort of uh, aspects of flying in the game. And I don't know. Did you have anything that that really bugged you about it? Well, I guess I would say that you summed each part up really nice, especially that the taking off section of just like, yeah, I mean, like, what more do you really want to it? But you really are just holding down the A button to rev up the engine and then just, you know, going down on the D-pad to because it's inverted controls in order to go up. That is really easy, almost impossible to fail. Yeah. (laughs) And I guess that from there, though, like, it goes from no challenge whatsoever, you know, thinking like, oh, maybe this will be like a fun arcade style game where like, you know, it's not, it's not like super, um, like I need to be aware of my altitude or I need to be aware of all these different things. That immediately is subverted when you get to the actual mission and suddenly, you know, you're greeted with a user interface that has your altitude, your fuel level, your heading, your angle of attack how much damage is done to you. Like that's just a lot of information in general. Forget about the actual first person cockpit mode of it all. I I just feel like, you know, did they need the whole like taking off thing? Maybe they should have spent more time in, in game explaining 
what you know what was going on here in the actual cockpit now granted that's what a manual is for i just feel like it's really uh, hard to wrap your head around this mission thing when you first get into the game yeah it it really is night and day um for, in terms of simplicity and then complexity uh between takeoff and like the actual mission um Again, it bears it bears surface resemblance to Top Gun, um, but I I did go back and and play Top Gun, and there really isn't nearly as much, uh, like freedom in in Top Gun as there is in this game. Uh, and the I think the biggest thing is because like they're not trying to simulate a three D environment, and this game does not actually simulate a 3D environment, but it's it's trying its damnedest to to make you think it is. Um, so what you get is um, a featureless ground or ocean or you know surface, um, and then you get all of your bells and whistles on your screen, in your UI, in your cockpit, and then you've got. It, it, at first glance, just tiny little dots that are probably your enemies, um, both on the radar and out your windshield. And um, a lot of what makes this part kind of confusing is that I, because I don't really think that they, they fully simulated a 3D environment. I think the, the part that makes this very difficult is that there's no visual indicator of how high you are. You, it's just the altitude number on on your cockpit. Otherwise, the game looks exactly the same when you're at fifty thousand feet than you than it does at ten thousand feet. Like there's no like, oh wow, the trees look too big. I I better pull up. It's just the number. So that so that doesn't really help. Um, then there's this whole like faux 3D space which. Um, in some ways, kinds of, kind of works, but in some ways will just make your enemies sort of teleport. Uh, if they get off screen, and sometimes even when they're on your screen, they don't seem to behave like you, like, obey to the same laws of physics. <laughs> um, it, it's almost like you're sort of, you're actually playing on a giant cylinder than, like, in just a, a space above like a city or a forest like it it's a it's an odd and I'm not really doing a good job describing it but it just seems like the the planet that you're on is shaped strangely <laughs> because like you'll you'll turn around and then something that was going in the same direction as you um and was never that far away from you as soon as you like lose them they're now like on the opposite side of the screen i don't know if that's just like wrap around because uh, I don't, I just don't really know how space in this game works. Yeah, I think it is wraparound, and I think a lot of what you're describing here, Sean, is the problem that we had with a game a long time ago now called Star Voyager, which was a space simulation game where you could actually like find yourself going to other planets, and who knows what you would run into. And it was more of a more of a simulator game too. But the problem there was a game that was trying to be a simulation game while not understanding the limits of the NES itself. And this isn't the same problem as, say, what we had with like Nobunaga's Ambition, where they figured out how to take all the complexities of strategy and divvy it out into like numbers that you would just look at the screen and it'd basically be menu navigating the game. That might be a cool thing for uh, like a 
a game where you're like an air traffic controller, but not a game where you're in an F-117. So what they've done here is they focused so much on, you know, what I, I think is a very faithful adaptation of a really fast plane dealing with other really fast planes trying to be in a dogfight. Like, it's not easy to just shoot down another enemy plane, but because of the limitations of the NES itself and the the fact that they couldn't, like, actually design any other elements than just ground and sky into it, there really is no sense of space because there's just the horizontal line that angles itself with your angling so at least you kind of get a sense if you're upside down or sideways or something but there's no there's no sense of actual space the wraparound thing becomes a problem because again if you're going for realistic that's not going to work here but also the speed at which you run into the enemies means that this is going to be a much longer mission than what might appear to the player. Taking down four enemy aircrafts in any kind of shmup or most, even like Top Gun, for instance, I think you said it earlier in the episode, John, that that was more of an arcade game. I agree. I think Top Gun felt a little looser in the cockpit. Uh, You got to like select your different missiles before going into to the missions the plane sprites were like significantly larger and came at you from the sides kind of like how a shmup works how they appear on screen in this game because everything is dealt more with like honestly if you guys have ever played like star fox 64 um it's dealt like those levels where you know you enter the 3d space of those uh boss fights it just doesn't work here because of the limited graphical capabilities of the NES, in my opinion. I, I think that the biggest problem that this game has, and it, again, it is just like, the graphical capabilities of it, um, is just how jerky it is. Like, the, the biggest difference that I could find between Top Gun and this game in terms of playability is Top Gun's actually very smooth. Like, the, the animation of your enemies, of the stuff on the ground... Like it, and just you know the particle effects. I'll put that in quotes of like the clouds coming at you. Like it really gives you a sense of where you are, um, in this in the sky here. Whereas whenever you move, you're automatic. Like just the the, the littlest touch on the D pad that is like a 15 degree shift, um, in like the horizon. And then you've got these planes that, again, they're, you're trying to simulate speed, but you're not going to have a different sprite for, like, 500 meters away and 490 meters away, all the way down to right in front of you. Um, so you just sort of got them shifting at maybe, like, 10 to 15 frames a second. Um, and just, like, this very fast flip book of a plane, fla- like, flashing past you. Now, I will say, though... That once you kind of get the hang of that, I, you could, like, it, once you've trained your brain to think in 15 frames a second, um, as one might have had to do if they had a really shitty computer back in the day, um, you can actually kind of have fun with these dogfights. Like, it's not, it's not impossible. And I actually was able to kind of get the hang of it to an extent that, like, it actually felt like I was flying a plane for a bit. It's just, there's a lot of obstacles, um, especially if you have never played a game like this on this kind of hardware that can really take you out of it. 
Yeah, you know, that's exactly what I was going to lead into next, Sean, is that this is just a, a thing with older hardware simulation games, is that at the time, right, they were kind of like top of the line uh, simulators, and so people just learned to, you know, they learned to get around them and understand the controls, and they spent probably more time with it than we were able to maybe in this podcast, but even if you go back to older driving simulator games, like, they don't actually simulate every aspect of driving like they're 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 more arcadey than we would might expect them to be this game too like obviously isn't the most realistic uh physics demonstration of a uh, of an aircraft however i think what this game was missing was at some point they needed to make a design decision over whether it was going to be a really intense dogfight between you know between you and the enemies that uh and maybe like maybe make it more technical slow everything down a little bit giving you more time to focus on you know sneaking up on the enemy and uh being able to to talk to hunt them down currently i feel like it's just a little too fast for that or they could have decided to do the opposite and maybe you know open the world up a little more in terms of not being able to just okay, everybody's here, and now everybody's not here. It should have maybe had more in it. Yeah, I think that if they could have put some kind of landmark on the ground, I, I and I know that that's not that's not entirely possible. Like just to have something that you could that you can anchor yourself with, aside from just uh, a blank slate, um, that would have helped. Another thing that would have helped um, is. Um, and this is actually this would fundamentally change the game, and it they'd have to get creative and maybe get rid of their newfangled stealth mode that we haven't really touched upon. But this game needed throttle up and throttle down. Like you cannot have a dogfight, um, really with with just like you're always going at the same speed. Like you 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 can't slow down. You can't speed up. Um, because both your face buttons are for either missiles or your machine gun. And then your up, it, your, your D-pad is for pitch and yaw and all that. So you need to have another button to go faster and slower. That would, I think, bring a lot more to, like, being able to enjoy the dogfights in this game. Because otherwise, the only way that I could do it is like, oh, I guess I gotta do like a front flip or a back flip just to get everybody back in my field of view. Um, otherwise, you weren't, I just wasn't gonna have a lot of fun with this game. Yeah, and it's one of those games where it, it becomes challenging to take down uh, the enemy aircraft that it actually becomes fun to when you when it happens. You know, it actually feels exciting when you get a guy, whether that's through the machine gun or the lock-on missiles. I think that the lock-on missiles are very satisfying because you see the little square around uh, the enemy and you know that you've been locked on. It shoots the missile, but then there's like, like a delay of a little bit because of the depth between you and the enemy aircraft that you're not quite sure if it landed and then you get that moment of success when it blows up and you realize that you've made a successful target. That's exciting. That is exciting. And I think that the arcs that they take do look really cool because it still is because you have no idea how far away it is and maybe it's going to miss entirely, but it, it it is satisfying once you finally hit it. One thing that I'd say is not very satisfying is 
just the amount of feedback that you get when you get hit. Because I have no idea, aside from taking glances at my damage meter, like, I have no idea how I got hit or what hit me. I think maybe there needed to be a little bit more feedback as to, like, when you take damage. Maybe a little bit of red or, like, a screen shake. I think right now just a, it's just like a, 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 a beep that sounds, like, different than other beeps. Yeah, and there's a lot of sound cues in the game, so I think, you know, it was a conscious decision, but yes, they should have had um, some kind of flash as well or something. I, I don't know if that would have been annoying depending on how much damage you actually take when the machine guns happen. Like, maybe that would have caused a seizure-like effect. But <laughs> Sure. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, I would say that for the damage meter and all that stuff, even just the way that, like, finding enemies and stuff like that... Did it feel like the AI kind of was helping you discover them or be on the same like they were they were obviously hunting you too but like altitude never really mattered when it came to the dog fight like if i was 50,000 feet they were 50,000 feet if i was 30,000 like they were there with me i didn't have to like calibrate myself to find them on an altitude level so for all i know like when they were even attacking me right it's like Maybe they were attacking me from behind and there's just no real like way to know that. Or maybe they were attacking me from an angled, an angle of attack, you know, that was different than where I was altitude wise. But I'm not able to like discern that information from the cockpit. You could argue that's part of the experience. I think that you're right that the that the computer is helping you, because, again, I really don't think that they've really modeled a 3D space here and more so have just have some clever tricks to make you think that you're in a 3d space um because you're right like they they never seem to be all that far away i I think they're never always they're not always on the same like altitude as you but they're never like more than maybe five thousand feet away from you just so that you can have fights where you are like more angled towards the ground than not um so it doesn't feel like it's more of a two-dimensional game um but yeah they're never like, you're never going to lose them because you're way above them. You're going to more lose them because they're they're behind you and you need to flip around to see them. And the last part of combat here, the stealth mode, uh, arguably the name of the game implies that this mode is is the cool feature, which is that you hit the start button and it allows you to go into a invisible cloaking for um, a, a small amount of time so that you can shake off the enemies. I played the first level of this game without knowing <laughs> that that was like a thing. I didn't read the manual. I didn't understand. I thought like the stealth thing was part of just the aircraft itself, like part of the naming convention. I, I don't know. It's a cool feature and everything, but it doesn't actually like, you know, maybe I'm just so focused on trying to hit anything of the other enemy aircrafts that I'm not worried about necessarily myself and this damage feedback that I need to think about. Oh, better turn on stealth mode. You only get one use. Yeah. Okay. This, this whole feature is a cop out. And I think you're, I don't, I don't know for a fact, but I think you're right in saying that the whole stealth, uh, idea for the aircraft is just the design of the aircraft like it's got all these sharp edges and weird um 
and, and weird designs because it was designed to like deflect radar and not reflect it. So the the plane in real life is always in stealth mode. <laughs> um and they just sort of made this up to make it a gameplay feature and I think it's kind of a dumb gameplay feature uh, that it, you press start once and then all missiles just don't lock on anymore. It it's not fun like there's no like cool ways to play around with it. It's just a get out of jail free card. I think we've exhausted talking about this uh first-person cockpit experience as much as we possibly can. I think anything else really needs to be experienced by the listener. So I, I would say if, if this game has intrigued you at all just from a complexity standpoint, you, you're worth trying the game here because maybe you'll find a different experience. I personally just feel like the the combat mission portion is just lacking um, important information and then giving you a lot of additional information that maybe isn't necessarily required. Yes. So then we move on to landing. Sean, you teased this a little bit at the beginning uh, because I think I think you put it very nicely that this is a solved game, but a very hard one to to solve. Uh, once you figure it out, it's the same thing every time. However, figuring it out is left to a trial and error that results in a lot of crashes. And crashes don't mean that you just redo the landing. You redo the whole mission. Yeah. Yeah, that 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 it's pretty rough there, and it's very frustrating. Um, but um, yeah, so in this mode, like your face buttons are no longer shoot and missile; um, they're now throttle up and throttle down. And basically, the trick here is you want to sort of you, you want to kind of lean into um, the landing, but also throttle down, and then you want to. Uh, as you're getting slower and and getting closer to the runway, you want to sort of pull the nose up and and continue to slow down, and then but you don't want to go so slow that you stall and fall. Um, and then at some certain point, you won't realize that you touch the ground because it does a very bad job of telling you where the ground is because it's like in this faux like landscape where like you're you're not landing on a flat line, you're landing in like a perspective where there's a horizon behind you. So you're not really sure where the ground is. <laughs> um, but then you'll just realize that you've been at that same level and haven't crashed. So there, you know that you've landed. <laughs> wow. Pretty impressive stuff, Sean, to walk us through like that. <laughs> um, I think what's even funnier though, is like, you know, that is a very detailed uh, explanation of what you can do to figure out how to land this plane properly. The 2022 solution is to just look up a picture or a video <laughs> of a proper landing in this game and just mirror the exact stats. Because as long as the lines and the pictures line, I'm not talking about the actual aircraft landing in a specific spot. No, I'm talking about in the user interface, there's all these different things that they put up on the, um, on the landing screen to kind Which of I show didn't you see like it first. <laughs> yeah, no, it's 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 the same thing with Top Gun, remember where we were complaining about the landing there and you revealed <laughs> that it tells you. But now Top Gun is more forgiving. That actually gives you the exact numbers you need to hit. Mm -hmm. This would be pretty interesting if it actually made it so that you needed to like trace the lines over like it had the actual angles that you want to be at and you just kind of have to line yourself up with them i'd argue then what's the point of even simulating it then at that point yeah but 
what we get here is arguably a more frustrating experience, if only because they chose not to just restart from the landing mission. Landing is tricky, and they knew it was tricky, trust me. I mean, come on. <laughs> and here we go. Starting way back to the beginning is just cruel. Thankfully, I um played this on an emulator because that this would have this would have taken me out of the game immediately to know that like all my hard work in the dogfight immediately is undone. This just doesn't happen in modern video games at all, but it shouldn't be happening back then either. There are they are able to like create states to be like, okay, you're now in the like if you're going to even name these things, right? Like 1-1 one, one is the first takeoff. 1-2 is the mission. 1-3 is the landing. You should be able to just start from the beginning of 1-3 every time you crash in the landing. Yeah, it's it, it's kind of a, a, a tough thing to balance there. I almost feel like they shouldn't even punish you at all and maybe just give you like a points bonus or something or like access to a bonus like mini game after if you pull it off on the first try um because punishing you at the end of a completely different game with this with this little test of memorization um it it's it's beyond me i i think that they needed to just let you land uh without any punishment and just reward you if you did it correctly right we need to talk too about the length of time you know uh the takeoff takes all of 10 to 15 seconds to get up in the air. The landing sequence could take uh, maybe as much as 30 seconds because they give you a long runway in most of the levels. I think there is one where you have to land on a carrier, which is just crazy. But, um, you know, for the most part, they're just very infinitely long landing strips. You you know, that that probably takes about 30 seconds. The dogfight isn't like some one to two minute experience. That's going to take some time. Yeah, it's like to six like, to seven minutes at least. Right, yeah. to hunt everybody down. So I don't know, like being forced to, you know, to do the whole like seven minute sequence again. That's a little wild. Yeah, that's that was poorly thought out. However, you know, I could understand where they're coming from, too, of like crashing is failing the mission and the mission started at the base. It's a different game, though. Like, it's a completely different mode. And there should be, like you said, checkpoints between shifts in game. Like, yeah, of course, maybe you shouldn't get a checkpoint after you kill each, uh, enemy plane because, like, that's, that's part of the game. You have to, you have to fight all of these and not, not them one at a time. But then you've just completely changed the perspective, the controls, and your objective. So. It makes more sense. Maybe give him a little leeway. It's like crashing your car in the career mode of Gran Turismo and that being considered a player death and you have to start a new file. <laughs> Gran Turismo, yeah, you, you get five lives to start. Yeah. Uh, funny enough, yeah, I don't think they've ever let you crash cars in Gran Turismo, right? The car manufacturers probably would not allow that. I think the the most you'll see is like broken windows. I don't even know if they do that. Mm-hmm. Well, here, too, with the um, F-117, it's all or nothing, you know? Damage doesn't appear to do anything when it's just, uh, you know, anywhere under 100% damage. It looks like the same great-looking airplane. <laughs> However, you know, 100% damage or a crash in the landing sequence, and you're up in uh, oblivion. You have been evaporated. <laughs> Now, how about the variety of these missions, right? And I'm considering a mission 
the whole thing, the takeoff, the dogfight, and the landing. Is there anything more here than just like the amount of enemies you take on or then, you know, the the setting? I, they try to change it this way. It's like, now it's at night. Now it's over water. Like, what do you think about the actual variety? The only thing that I think was cool and it wasn't just like, well, I, I would hope that they'd have like a different colors for things like and it's not all just above the same grassland um the one thing that i did think was cool was uh was the night missions because they do kind of have a different vibe about them and like your your uh uh your ui looks different uh the planes have a different look against the sky um and the takeoff and landing look very different as well so I, even though it is mostly just cosmetic, uh, having the night missions, I think, was a plus. That They did feel cool. On the uh, sequels and spinoff side here, I, uh, this game was published by Activision, but the developer is uh, Imagineering, which is not to be confused with Walt Disney's Imagineering. And we haven't heard that name before because they have mostly been making Atari 2600 games before this. This is actually their first NES game. But come 1990, we're going to see a lot more of them. I'm just going to list off some games here. Destination Earthstar, Ghostbusters 2, Heavy Shredding, A Boy and His Blob, Trouble on Blobalonia. Uh, I know I know from, you know, just like word of mouth that A Boy and His Blob is a you know, a, a big game, but uh, that title is pretty funny in itself. Uh, Sean, I think, you know, they might become something here. This was a interesting first attempt at making something for the NES, and it doesn't seem like they're going to repeat that. It seems like they're going to try a bunch of other games. Mostly blob-centric, but um, I'm also interested, like, how many Activision games have we played so far? Like, they're they're pretty, they're, they're relatively new to the, to the game here too, right? The actual games that we have played by Activision so far... Uh, are strictly publishing games. The, they have not developed any of these games. We had Super Pitfall, uh, one of the worst NES games <laughs> we've ever played, and that was made by Micronics, who um, we haven't heard from in a while. It seems yeah, like they may be retired true. from making this garbage. Uh, Ghostbusters, which makes sense because they're going to bring us Ghostbusters 2, so they just like bought the license and said, we'll just get people to make these games for us. Predator, another you know franchise thing, and then our very next episode, The Three Stooges, is also an Activision game, but not a Beam Software. Uh, sorry, not an Imagineering game. It's made by Beam Software instead. Okay. All right. So we really haven't seen any of the Activision uh, touch yet. It's really just been like, all right, yeah, we'll make money off of your game. Yeah, it seems like that's the plan, and uh, it's going <laughs> it's going well. I mean, pretty <laughs> yeah. soon there'll be a couple, uh, you know, $100 billion corporation. I can't wait. I just think it's interesting, too, though, that the games that I listed off have nothing to do with planes or, <laughs> or you know, anything involving this engine. Like, this whole thing that they made for this specific game is just going to go unused. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. Um, I also, you know, maybe it's maybe it'll be improved upon in uh, Three Stooges. Yes, yeah, that's true. <laughs> maybe the dogfighting in Three Stooges will be better. <laughs> Granted, they've only had a week. But maybe they'll make it, maybe they'll add some touches. Mm -hmm. You know, Sean, I'm just watching Stealth ATF, not to get back on an old subject here. I know we were kind of done. Yeah. But I'm in a desert level and I'm seeing these cactuses 
And if you ride your altitude pretty damn low, the cactuses do get bigger, which doesn't make sense. Cactuses, you know, are cactuses. You shouldn't be seeing them at 44,000 feet, <laughs> and then they shouldn't be gigantic as you get to 10,000 feet. Like, at that rate, like, that's actually some bad pixel skewing, right? I mean, at this rate, maybe it's telling us that we aren't actually on Earth, and we're actually on a different planet that just has mega cactus, which are several oh. stories tall. Who's the cactus from Final Fantasy? Maybe he, he maybe it's his planet. Yeah, Cactor. This is Cactor's planet. All right. You never see a person get into the plane. That's true. I think that's important information. <laughs> well, you can tell we've run out of ideas for what else to talk about. So there is one more thing to talk about, and that is whether Stealth ETF is going to be on the Essential Games list. Sean, we've talked at length about Stealth ETF now. I've exhausted what I could say about it. Do you have anything left to say about it? Um. Yeah, I'm just going to expand upon, because I really only spoke for maybe 30 seconds about how I I did actually have fun playing this game, because there's a lot of frustration, and there's a lot of, like, trying to relearn how the world works and how, you know, moving in a direction, uh, it, it, it doesn't mean that everything else shifts around you. Um, but once you kind of got all the weird ticks of the world and you, you you started to realize that yeah you can only move in in this sort of predefined um uh discrete changes in in altitude and angle once you sort of got all that out of the way um you can kind of navigate and you can kind of get the hang of stuff and the dog fights can be fun if you can keep them in your view and you learn how to and it it's a lot of like having it, it's fun in spite of itself because this isn't the the best designed game but it is still technically impressive i think and it was impressive that like how it felt once you got over all those weird hang-ups but with that said like these are really weird problems that you're going to have to run into so uh it may not be worth it but I'd I'd say that if you're into weird, uh, primitive uh, flight sims, um, and you like blowing stuff up, and you like crashing planes trying to land them, um, give it a shot. Not essential. <laughs> I don't disagree with anything you just said. Um, I think file this one under people who love the NES and then want to explore, like, one-offs or genres that they don't necessarily like are familiar with from their nes childhood because i can't imagine this game being like super popular when you find out like oh they actually had like a um a fighter jet cockpit first person style video game like i want to see how that was done you have to be a fan uh, of the nes and all of its limitations to enjoy this kind of game this is not the kind of game that i would recommend anyone seek out in 2022 but for like this kind of thing that we're doing here and for all the people who are joining us for the ride, you know, it's another it's another unique spin that just doesn't fully deliver. I I think that's really all I can say about it. Obviously, that doesn't sound like an essential vote for me, but it's not like I don't know. We were pretty hard on it throughout the episode. It's not even close to like one of the worst games I played. It's just a little unforgiving 
even for a simulation-style game. Sam would certainly put this in the jank folder. There uh, you go. But it would be, a f- you know, in a good way, kind of. Next week, we have The Three Stooges. Uh, as we've said multiple times now in this episode, we said it at the <laughs> beginning, we said it in the middle, and now I'm telling you again, uh, I think it's just maybe that's because I'm a little shocked that we're having a Three Stooges game on the NES. How will it play? What will it be like? That's what we save next Friday for, because you will hear it in the episode. You will hopefully have played it, or um, after hearing us talk about it, we'll be determined to play it, or not if we don't like it. You get what I'm saying, right? You guys depend on us to tell you how to feel. <laughs> and that's why we've created a whole nother podcast to tell you how to feel about Japanese games. It's called Nostalgia Bites. It's only on our Patreon, patreon.com slash nostalgia. We just did an episode called The Tower of Draga, and now, our next month, we will have an episode on Battle City. Probably not a game you've ever heard of, because it never came to the NES. Sean, Battle City, one guess. What are we doing in it? Uh, I'm going to say that you are a a detective um, that's trying to solve the murder of yourself um, in the afterlife. And you have to turn in your findings to um, this this man named Ryan Battle. And uh, once you do that, you get to go to the city. Find out if Sean is right in our Nostalgia Bites episode, <laughs> Battle City, and stream the first six episodes of Nostalgia Bites now when you join us, patreon.com slash nostalgia. 